Okay. Hi, everyone. So, I thought I'd mix it up here a bit and say something about a a group of ancient Greek and Roman thinkers called the Stoics. Even though I, I don't agree with everything they say, I do think that they have some really interesting ideas, some of which have been enormously influential. Okay, well, so sit back and relax. Here goes. Okay, so even if you don't know much about the Stoics, most people know at least this, that an important part of Stoic teaching is that we shouldn't be concerned with or or worried about things that we can't control. Now, part of the reason they counseled this is because, well, they believed in fate. That's to say, they believed in a world or a cosmos determined by divine providence. In other words, nothing happens fortuitously, and whatever happens to us is for the best. As the, um, the Roman emperor and Stoic Marcus Aurelius puts it, welcome everything which happens, even if it seems harsh, because it contributes to the health of the universe and to the well-being of Zeus. So, the point here is that since absolutely everything is a part of divine arrangement, and so completely out of our control, we must learn to, to graciously and dispassionately accept whatever happens to us. If we do this, we'll avoid the, the frustration and despair that comes with trying to change things that can't be changed, with things that have already been ordained to take place. Okay, but if you haven't already noticed it, this seems to raise an important question about free will. That's to say, can the Stoic view of, of divine providence or a fully deterministic cosmos, can it leave any room at all for, for free will or, or human agency? I mean, if, as the Stoics claim, everything is fated to occur just as it does, then how can it make sense for us to believe that we are free agents, that we're able to to choose what to do. Well, actually, there was a lot of discussion about this, both by the Stoics themselves and by later writers in antiquity commenting on the Stoics. But let's here consider only one possible interpretation of their view, and let's do so in light of an illustration that they themselves provide. Okay, so here it is. What they ask us to do is to consider the case of a dog that's tied to a cart being driven by his master. Now, as the cart moves along, either the dog may move along with the cart, in which case the the dog's will and necessity or fate unite, or the dog may, may struggle against the motion of the cart. Now, in either situation, of course, the dog will move along with the cart. After all, fate or determinism leaves no room for events to occur otherwise than they do, right? Okay, so what does this have to do with the the possibility of free will then? Well, what the Stoics say is this, that if the dog struggles against the, the direction of the cart, then the dog isn't free. However, they say that there is an important sense in which the dog is free in the case in which it's moving alongside the cart. Okay, so... How are we to understand this? How is this um, freedom exactly? Well, it might really help to imagine the dog following his master acquiescently and with zeal, 
perhaps even in much the same way he would do if he were not tied to the cart. Now, it's in this sense, I think, that we could see the dog as freely following his master, even though, of course, the dog could not ultimately do other than move along with the cart. So, even though the the, the Stoics believe that we live in a cosmos established by divine providence, or that we live in a, in a deterministic universe, they still seem to think that we can nevertheless control our attitude towards what happens. And given, as I mentioned earlier, that everything that happens is for the best, what our attitude really boils down to for them is a kind of acceptance. We are free then when we fully and gracefully accept what happens to us. So we should stop trying to change the world, since this is impossible. Rather, what we should do is change our will or desires so as to will or desire whatever happens to us. In this way, we'll always live as we wish to. In other words, we'll be free. Okay, so the Stoics uh, also said some really interesting things about emotions, too. And actually, as it turns out, it's, it's not really disconnected from their view of fate. But before I get to that connection, let me say something about their view on emotions first. Okay, so we tend to see our emotions and our feelings as um, distinct from reason and as things that just happen to us, right? Things that we're, we're struck by, totally outside of our, our voluntary control. I mean, just look at our language, our expressions. For example, we say things like, we're overcome by sadness. We're hit by jealousy. We're um, seized by anger. And we're carried away by fear. Or we say things like, um, I don't know what came over me. Or he was quite out of control. And so on. Basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we see emotions as something like external intrusions into our lives, to which we fall victim to, and for which we are therefore not responsible. Yet, here's the thing. When we take a moment and think about typical examples of of strong emotion, say, I don't know, um, intense anger, or uh, a fit of jealousy at someone else's success, it seems somewhat obvious that such states of mind are not quite like that. That is, we don't get angry or jealous for no reason at all, but rather because we think that someone is treating us poorly or that someone is achieving the success that we, rather than they, deserve. In other words, we can say why we're angry or jealous. And even though our anger or jealousy may not have been justified, these emotions didn't really feel to us like like blind forces taking us over against our will. Now, on this, the Stoics have much to say. So, for the Stoics, emotions, far from being um, animal-like drives over which we have no control, are actually beliefs or judgments. More specifically, I should say, they're mistaken beliefs or judgments. And I'll get to that in a second. And because they're, they're beliefs or judgments, they fall into the group of things which are entirely up to us, as the Stoics say. And so something that we're entirely responsible for. Actually, it's interesting 
Here the Stoics anticipate, in part, the views of the, of the 20th century existential philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, who also rejects the idea that people are passive victims of emotions. For Sartre, though, emotions were basically ways of, of dealing with the world. They were kind of um, strategies of a certain sort. Anyway, so what did the Stoics mean when they said that such emotions are judgments, and mistaken judgments in particular? Well, basically they mean that in desiring something, or being averse to it, a person has formed a a judgment concerning what's good to pursue or bad to experience. So, for example, to have um, sexual passion or lust for another is to have formed a judgment that the pursuit and object of our desire will be good for us. Or to um, take another example, to get upset or angry when we lose our money, is to have formed the judgment that not having money is bad for us. But here's the thing. These are both mistaken judgments, however. This is precisely what makes them emotions, according to the Stoics. They're mistaken because, in both cases, we've um, misevaluated as good things that don't really have much value at all. That is, in both cases, we've misjudged the value of things. We've treated um, bodily and external things, again, things that are totally outside of our own control, as if they're, they're good or bad not to have. So, in other words, we get upset or angry when we lose our money, say, because we mistakenly take some indifferent or valueless thing like wealth to be really, really good for us. Okay, but now a really crucial implication of this Stoic teaching concerning emotions is this, that ultimately we don't experience the world without the the mediation of our own interpretations or assessments. This is what the Stoics mean when they say, and this is a really great line, It is not things that disturb people, but their judgments about things. In other words, what disturbs us is not an event or action as such, you know, like a like an encounter with an with an attractive body or or theft or or illness, just to mention a few. But rather our judgment about such events and its bearing on ourselves. That's to say, emotions and passions are self-inflicted deriving not from events themselves, but from our misjudgments about the harm or benefit we expect to experience. But here's the thing. Once we see this, once we see that our our emotional responses are the products of our judgments, we'll come to understand that our, our emotions are completely in our power, that they're up to us to have or not. In other words, just to repeat the main idea here, How we experience certain situations or events in our life depends through and through on our conscious, volitional judgments. Okay, now, I mentioned the case of losing some money earlier. And you know what? Maybe becoming angry or upset over losing some money is perhaps a a somewhat banal example. I mean, hey, we might even partly agree with the Stoics that we overreact in such cases and that it would be better for us to treat wealth largely as a matter of indifference, right? But here's the thing. When it comes to certain other emotions the Stoics talk about, things get a little more difficult. 
So one good example here is what they have to say about the emotion of grief. Okay, so first of all, what is grief? Well, very generally, I'd say it's something like this. It's a feeling that something good that one possessed has been lost, and it presents the thought that in being now denied that thing, one's life has been significantly diminished. I mean, just think about the death of a friend or a family member and the deep sadness and profound sense of loss that we all experience because of it. Well, so how do the Stoics approach something like this? Well, as chilling as it seems to us, they don't even grieve when their family member or child dies, let alone a friend. Now why? Again, it's because they know that, like money, or for that matter any external good, Their child's life isn't something they could have secured or had the power to keep, that it was totally outside of their control. Now, this isn't to say that they don't consider themselves fortunate to have had that person in their life, but only that their being taken away is, strictly speaking, not a bad thing, and so not something to be grieved over. Again, the larger point here is that When we know what sorts of things we have control over in our life and what we don't, and so because of that know what's of real value, we can learn to modulate our emotional responses to certain events. And that goes too in the case of the death of a loved one. I mean, in case you don't believe me, here's the Stoic Epictetus himself. So in the case of love, if you kiss your child... Remind yourself that what you love is mortal and not something that you own. So, what harm is it, just when you are kissing your child, to say, Tomorrow you will die? Wow. Okay, so, now remember I said earlier that this view is actually compatible with their view of fate. So, how is this? Well, let's take their attitude on grief, for example. So, The idea is that their attitude on grief is actually supported by the cosmic dimension of their theory. In other words, it's bolstered by their view of fate or divine providence. That's to say, the Stoics recognize that the child's death is something that contributes positively to the overall good state and history of the world, something which they care ultimately much more about than their own petty affairs. In other words, Things that may seem bad to us from our own individual perspective are, in the bigger picture, really not bad. Because, remember, nothing happens fortuitously, and whatever happens is ultimately for the best.